Welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dolapena, and on this episode, I welcome Crystal Zins, cricketer from Minnesota, who was part of the USA Women's Southwest Regional Squad at the recent USA Cricket Women's Regional Championship down in Texas. I'm sure a lot of you who follow the podcast and follow U.S. cricket in general may have come across Crystal Zins' name because she was the player who was the subject of a social media post I made on Facebook that went viral over an incident that happened in the tournament there in Texas at the USA Cricket Women's Regional Championship. But I wanted to get a chance to have Crystal come on the show to give her a chance to tell the world a hell of a lot more about herself and her passion for cricket because I know from talking to Crystal in Texas and talking to her since the events in Texas that she's got a deep, deep passion for cricket and she has so much to share about the game and contribute to the game, a contribution that maybe she didn't get a proper chance to demonstrate in Texas, but given the right opportunity, I think Crystal somebody who's got a hell of a lot to offer cricket whether that's in minnesota or anywhere else in america or the world for that matter and she shares a lot of that passion in the interview that i did with her and why cricket is such a great game and crystal is a great example of that so you'll hear more from crystal in a few minutes but before i get to the interview with crystal i want to remind everybody that the stars and stripes cricket podcast is presented by dream cricket the dream cricket store can help you fill up all your cricket kit requirements anything you need bats helmets gloves pads jerseys go to dreamcricketstore.com and get 15 percent off your first order dream cricket store also offers free shipping on all orders over 200 dollars so go to www.dreamcricketstore.com dot com now to take advantage of that great offer today the stars and stripes cricket podcast presented by dream cricket is also sponsored by moose cricket stadium the first turf wicket facility in the state of texas for more information go to www.moosestadium.com that's m-o-o-s-a stadium.com moose cricket stadium in pearland texas and also the podcast is sponsored by crickbuster Crickbuster is an ICC-designated official travel agent for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia. So if you're a fan living in the USA and you're looking to go to Australia this October for the T20 World Cup and you need match tickets, flights, hotels stadium tours, or anything else you want to do in terms of sightseeing down under. Crickbuster is your one-stop shop for all of your touring plans, so visit www.crickbuster.com today to begin planning your trip for the T20 World Cup in Australia. And now, the interview with Crystal Zins, but just a brief note at the start, there were a few connection issues during the course of the interview, which caused some audio glitches, so if you do come across them at times, that's the reason why. But otherwise, 99% of the interview was smooth sailing. So here it is, the interview with Crystal Zins. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm welcomed by player from the Southwest Regional Squad in the recent USA Cricket Women's Regional Championships. She plays cricket in Minnesota. Crystal Zins. Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Hey. It's good to have another Italian on the podcast you wouldn't know it from your last name but from talking to you you said your maiden name Gagliardi so Gagliardi so uh we got some more Italian flavor to the podcast very exciting for me at least I don't know how many other Italians there are the Venn diagram between cricket lovers and Italians it might be like this small in terms of the Venn diagram crossover but I'm sure they do exist out there somewhere Crystal shout out to all those Italian players we need more (laughs) For people who 
don't know much about you and your cricket. You you're from Minnesota, born and raised in Minnesota. Believe it or not, there is cricket in Minnesota. I know because I've seen it. The year there was actually a USA Cricket Regional Western Conference Championship back in 2009 in St. Paul, Minneapolis, which was I think one of the best run tournaments I've ever been to. And and the cricket community out there is actually quite strong. It's not necessarily as big as some other parts of the country, but it is quite robust for that part of the world. So tell people if you can how the cricket community is from your perspective in that part of the world in Minnesota? Well, I think it's developing, it's growing. Um, I didn't come into it obviously until about three years ago, Um, started playing about two years ago. I know COVID kind of got into the way of that a little bit, but you know, we have, we have a huge presence, young and old, even here in my hometown of Woodbury, we have men's leagues, women's leagues, um, but mostly tennis ball leagues and leather ball, at least for the women, is fairly small right now um and so if we want to play we usually have to play the younger boy teams or uh, obviously as you know travel and then with the weather we're pretty limited to the summertime and then you know six months six plus months of cold winter and all that so we're reduced to indoors so getting play time getting field space has been a challenge um, for us and then competing with other teams with space. So I know that um, we have a lot of people in our group that are in the process of um, expanding, looking for facilities, looking to build facilities. I mean, for my knowledge, I think we only have one one cricket pitch. Uh, we used to have like two or three, but it's pretty reduced. Um, and that's in Minneapolis. So a lot of us are traveling near and far to get together. So like my team, for example, we come from all over the Twin Cities and just to play so but we're hungry to play um always out there whenever we can try to schedule uh spots and then working around weather but uh the passion is definitely there um young and old so i mean you see the kids out there playing and they're just rock stars and it's it's a phenomenal experience but yeah when i go down when i go down south it's you know i tell everyone i'm like oh i'm so jealous you guys have so many options oh if this place is taken we can just go over here and it's only 20 minutes away. Um, it is what it is. You're in Woodbury. You yep. mentioned Woodbury. So how far is that from Minneapolis, St. Paul, downtown? With traffic, maybe 45 to an hour, depending. I mean, we're in construction season, so depends on which way you go. But, you know, sometimes about 45 minutes, the way I drive, maybe a half hour. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it is what it is. Sometimes we'll carpool and we'll get there that way. So how, what's the closest cricket field to you then from Woodbury? It's to Minneapolis, 45 minutes or so. Well, now what cricket club are you affiliated with now? Right now it's MTBC, which is uh, just Minnesota Tennis Ball Cricket League. And uh, we're finishing up. We have a tournament this weekend, our final tournament for first place. I play for Team Victors and we're playing Phoenix, which is like our sister team. So we have a big team. We split up and then we play each other. Um, this year we only had four women's teams because, uh, attendance was pretty low. A lot of folks were traveling, um, this year just to take that opportunity to finally get out and see family. And, uh, like, cause like last year, I think we had like 10 teams. And then, uh, after that, we, we run stats and we, we do a, um, an auction. So based on uh, player ranking and we split up the teams and we're playing for MTPL and that will be coming up next week. And that'll just be a weekend tournament. So we kind of shuffle the deck a little bit with players. And so that's 
going to be super exciting. And we play under the lights. The men's team, on the other hand, I think they got over 180 players. Women, I think we have maybe 50, 50 or so that are playing. And, you know, here I am recruiting. I'm like, come on, we got to play leather ball. We got to play leather ball. Um, a lot of folks play tennis ball beautifully, but uh, for some folks, it's kind of a scary transition. But, you know, once you get your hands dirty, it's, it's fantastic. Now, you say only four teams. And then mm-hmm. you said, and then you said only 10 teams, mm-hmm. only, only in most parts of the country, <laughs> Crystal, I, I'm sure you're aware having traveled around the country now for various events in Texas and I believe Missouri and, and some other places, most places don't even have only one team for women's cricket. Uh, most places are, are scratching and calling and tapping into any sources they know or they might find people who are just interested in any sports whatsoever to try and lure them into cricket. So the fact that there's (laughs) only four teams or only 10 teams, I think people would be shocked at considering the major hotbeds of cricket really are the San Francisco Bay area for women's cricket. Anyway, Mm. San Francisco Bay area, New York, New Jersey, and a little bit in Maryland. And then you might have a pocket in, in certain parts of Texas, but generally speaking, there's very, very little women's cricket around the country. So the fact that you're saying there's only 50 players in Minnesota, I think may shock a lot of people that, again, cricket is that strong in that part of the world, but in particular, women's cricket. So what is driving all this women's cricket recruitment? Is it you, Crystal, or is it somebody else or some other group of people that's making a lot of waves happen up in that part of the world? Okay, first of all, when I say only, I guess I'm a little greedy. I, I want to see more. Um, I think if you have a great pool of people, you can really enhance your competition um, and experience. And it's tennis ball. So, I mean, when you break it down to leather ball, it's under 15 or so from, you know, when I, when we get into our practices, we don't have enough to play a game. So it's, it's not me, definitely not me, but I wish it was. Um, I, I talk about it everywhere I go. It's, you know, I, my friends and family, it's just, it's my topic of conversation to the point where they probably get sick of hearing about it. Um, but we, the, the women that we play with, they're, they're phenomenal and they have a tight community and it's mostly word of mouth. I mean, we try to get there on social media and things, but it's, it's more just groundswell, just getting together, you know, oh, you, you've got arms, let's go play. So let's just do this. So that's kind of, that's kind of how that goes. And, and then, you know, there's a lot of folks that, you know, come from, uh, other countries where it's big, big there and they come here and they find out that we have it. So they, they reach out. We have a lot of girls that used to play. They come in for the first time in many years and um, maybe a little rusty, but it's a big thing to see how quickly these women are developing and how competitive they all are. And it's not competitive in a bad way. It's, it's kind of like a, a personal competition within themselves. And we, are, we don't play just for ourselves. We play for everyone and everybody pretty much knows everybody. So when we're playing other teams, it's, we're all friends. Um, obviously, during a game, there's that competition, but we know everyone. So it's, it's kind of like a big family reunion in a way. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big family <laughs> reunion. Are there any other Gagliardis playing for, me. for Minnesota? No. No, all my family uh, are sporting activities. My brother, for example, he's baseball. He was a baseball player his whole life. Baseball, football, hockey. My girls are in figure skating and soccer. So I am trying to get my six-year-old 
to play. I mean, she picked up the bat right away and she's just all in. She's got that competitive drive almost to a fault or it's too competitive. But uh, yeah, like, my, you know, my brother again, he's about uh, 17 years my senior. And when he used to play, he was kind of, we have a St. Paul Saints, we got a team underneath. It's kind of like the, it's like a farm league where he would play. So when he was in his 20s or so, I'd go to his games and his coach would pay me a quarter for every ball. I would bring back from the outfield. So I've been chasing balls since I was five. Now you said you've got daughters, plural, or, or kids, plural. You said mm. you got a six-year-old. And then uh, I believe you said in previous conversation I had with you, you've got a teenager who's the one who's involved in figure skating. So how many um, how many kids do you have? Uh, well, total I have five, but I have three of my own. And then my husband has two. So, But we have five girls, three, six, 22, 23, and 24. Yeah. So they keep you busy. So, oh, they keep me busy. Yeah. And then my niece is in town from Florida. So she's staying with us and uh, she's an Air Force kid. She's doing those things, going to college. So I'm kind of a, a mom, a mentor, an aunt. I'm all the things. Financial planner, housekeeper. <laughs> I wear so, many hats. So yeah, yeah, many, many hats. Days, yes. Kind of crazy. It sounds like it. So as somebody who was born and raised in Minnesota and, and mm. families have been involved in all these other sporting activities, how did you first get drawn to cricket? And when did you first get drawn to cricket? You said it was about three years ago. Uh, so uh, how and when did this come to be? Yeah, it was about three years ago. I was working at a yoga studio and I was teaching prenatal yoga. You know, numbers in prenatal are pretty low because it's people come in for a short period of time and then they're out. And uh, one of my students, Kalavani, she would take my class. And I think she liked my class so much. She invited her friends and they came along and we had some pretty good classes together. It was pretty fun. And I know that her family had went back to India for a little while. So I just kind of reached out to her and said, hey, if you need anything for me, give me a holler, whatever it is, I don't care. And so I gave her my information. I don't usually do that, but I just wanted to reach out and be available for her if she needed anything, you know? And I think probably sometime after she had her, uh, her baby, because I know that she talked about cricket just a little bit and she's super passionate, obviously about it. And, um, she asked if I wanted to play. And I said, well, I know nothing of this sport. I mean, I really, really didn't. I mean, I went back home and I Googled it and saw some YouTube videos and things like that. And it's like, you know, sure. Why not? It sounded like fun. I went out there and just started practicing with those guys. And, you know, of course they asked me, you know, like, do you have a history of like playing softball or baseball? And I played a little bit, but not a whole lot. I mean, I'm just kind of a multi-athlete. I, I like to play sports. I'll play anything. Uh, except for like maybe bowling or golf but uh so yeah I joined her team and it we just kind of rolled into it and it was just kind of zero to 60 so to speak because the second you get out there you just kind of get into it and I will say that the experience itself uh the developmental experience um in the beginning was I wouldn't say it was tough but it was challenging in the fact that for every every activity that we would do would result in some some sort of um, constructive criticism so if you bowled or if you batted or anything, it's like, well, do this, do this, do this. That's great. But list of things of what you could do. So there wasn't any time to kind of enjoy the process. It was, it was pretty intense, but uh, looking back to that intensity of that constant, I don't want to say criticism that one day it just kind of clicked for me anyway. And uh, I really learned the, the joy of repetition in the game and the dynamic aspects of the game and it's just not something as simple as 
uh, you play your position and uh, you just kind of go with it. You, you really have to learn the players. You have to learn everybody's style. You have to learn all the positions. And it was just dynamic with that. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was at. And I'm still learning. Still, and, oh, you know, and I don't want to forget, too, that it wasn't just her coaching me. It was the entire team. And then other teams that we were playing with, you're constantly getting this feedback. And uh, there was really no time for rest. So, and we're still, we're still receiving that as well. And then, and then of course, we've kind of run into the one season, then we play another season, we play for a different team, and then all of a sudden we're playing uh, Viva Tournament, which is a charity tournament. And that really turned up the dial for me because we're playing co-ed and I'm playing with men. And all of a sudden it went from like 30 miles an hour to 60 miles an hour because the pace was different. And that aspect kind of clicked with me too. And it was more of a defensive offensive and learn your different styles. And uh, I really enjoyed that aspect too. Um, and it appeals to all my, my desires. Like I love running. I like to be fast. I like to be competitive. And if it's not there, if it's kind of a slow, boring game, I just kind of lose interest. And cricket definitely hasn't been that at all for me. There's a lot to unpack there. I'll, I'll start with yeah. the end. I'll start with the end. Okay. I can't tell you how many Americans have come across who, when they actually get to experience cricket firsthand, this is one of the things that sticks out in terms of, in their own words, it goes against the stereotype where you get somebody who's actually physically played cricket or gone to a cricket game and experienced it in person rather than through somebody trying to explain it to them using forks and knives and spoons and salt and pepper shakers <laughs> and, and that kind of thing where you actually get there and experience it. And almost every single person who's an American says, this is a fast game. It's a fast paced game. It moves quickly. There's very little dead time. You've got 20 to 25 seconds mm -hmm. in between deliveries. So there's always constant motion. And then when the ball is in play as well, and that goes so far in the polar opposite direction of the stereotype that keeps getting promoted, that cricket is a slow game. Cricket takes too long. And yes, in terms of the duration of when the game starts to when the game finishes, yes, the duration in that context of time and space, yes, it's a long game. But you talk to people who play, especially, again, the Americans I've come across who are exposed to it for the first time, and their instinctive response, and you've said it again, which, again, fascinates me, and I think it helps to kind of break down a lot of the stereotypes, it's a fast game. I want to get you to kind of go a little bit further in depth. Why do you feel it's a fast game and that it drew your interest from that standpoint. Okay. So I'll go back to when I used to play softball many, many years ago, being a left fielder and it was just daunting. You're just sitting out there waiting for a ball, waiting and waiting, looking at the clock and it just, you know, okay. But I do want to say that I have been watching little league on TV while I'm at the gym, they got it rolling on ESPN. And I do feel that, you know, uh, the Little League so girls softball has upped their game tremendously as well. I mean, I'm watching these kids play, and they're just going out there. I mean, they're going full bore, and they're phenomenal athletes. So I don't want to take away from, like, that sport. However, uh, with cricket, to me, being fast-paced, I just I just constantly think about the dynamics of the game itself. It, I mean, the field constantly changing, who's bowling, um, you know, the battling style, if they're lefty or righty. And it's just, you constantly have to be checking in. If you're not checked in, you're going to miss something. And it's, you really have to be two steps ahead of the game with what's going on. Um, reading players, reading the field, 
in that aspect as far as fielding goes. When it comes to batting, I have my favorite players. I mean, they're all they're all my favorite. But you really get to build a relationship with, say, another batsman or better. And we read each other. We talk to each other the entire time. And it's kind of a competition within itself. It's like, okay, can you get 50? If you get 50, I'll get 51. So, I mean, you can kind of break down within it and create, like, sub-competitions uh, within a game itself. I mean, it could be a slow pace. It could be a very leisurely game. But I, I tend to want to kind of up the level a little bit and really just kind of be proactive in that game. And you have that opportunity with cricket. Whereas other sports, especially when you go higher level, if you have an athlete, a professional level athlete, they are so good that they can relax a little bit. When you look at like minor league, for example, or even kids, I mean, they're throwing themselves out there. Not that a, a, a high level performing athlete wouldn't, but um, they're all in. And I really appreciate that aspect of it and in the pace that, that that brings. One of the other things you said that caught my ear, joy of repetition. What do you mean by the joy of repetition in cricket? Uh, you know, I think that's for anything, but especially for cricket, for accuracy and consistency. Uh, you really have to have that relationship with that repetitive nature. When I first started, I was really hesitant because I didn't want to have bad form. I didn't want to learn something in a way that was not correct so that I would repeat that. So as I was continued to be coached by um, other individuals working on my form, working on my bowling form, working on my batting form, watching videos over and over and over again of just how to pick up the bat, how to hold the bat, how to position your, your foundation, you know, just every aspect. It's just that constant repetition, working on that muscle memory. And, you know, that's where a lot of these young kids really kind of excel because they, some kids might have uh, experienced that early on so that they don't have any bad habits. So I, you know, when I played basketball, it was me laying on the bed with the ball, throwing it a hundred times every day, again and again and again. But it became, I don't want to say an addiction, but just this itch that I had to keep scratching to get it again and again and again. And then once you're in that zone, you're kind of unstoppable. And that's why, again, like I like the fast pace of, of the game because you can get into that groove pretty quickly. You don't really have time to think. Um, I know that some individuals might have a certain ritual of things to get to that. And I might develop some of those rituals as well. But overall, it's to getting into those, those repetitive things to kind of fall back on. So if you're not having a good day, those things are right there. You can just kind of go into your toolbox and, okay, what do I got to do? And then, boom, you go, go for it. Among those things, again, you got into cricket mm. about three years ago, you said. So you would have been 36, 37 thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm old. So, but I mean, <laughs> I, I got into cricket when I was, I, I first started playing. First time I ever picked up a bat and a ball was when I was 21. Mm. And so there's a different approach you need to take, at least from my perspective, when when you're an adult it's a lot easier to adjust to things when you're a kid and, and you can adapt and you haven't developed bad habits or you, you haven't had to undo bad habits or mm -hmm. you're haven't quite hit a point where you've maxed out in terms of your athleticism that you develop over the course of being a kid up into your, your teenage years. And if, if you don't have that athleticism by the time you're 16, 17, 18, then you're probably never going to develop it. 
Um, and some people might argue if you don't have that athleticism, by the time you're six, seven, eight years old, you're never going to develop it. you got to get it very, very young. But having played all the sports that you played growing up, you have that athleticism to be able to transfer these things to cricket, even learning it for the first time as an adult. So I'm curious for you, what was the easiest thing for you to try and learn in terms of cricket skills, whether it was a skill thing or a rules-based thing? What was the easiest thing? And what was the most challenging thing that you had to adapt to, whether from a skills-based learning mechanism or a rules-based learning mechanism? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and it's kind of hard to answer because I love it all. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hungry for every position that I play. I, I'm, I, after playing in Dallas or in Houston, fielding wasn't my favorite, but then that kind of really sparked a thing for me. So I, I like that now too. So I don't know. And, and that gave me some, that, that gave me some good hunger right there. But batting for me, that just pretty easy. Um, I have, uh, you know, with, with the sports and my training, uh, up until now, I feel all those things kind of came into play when you see like, you know, young kids having that, that athleticism for boxing, for example, you can't teach aggression, either you have it or you don't, there might be some kids that want to like get into like martial arts or something and, they might be able to do the form well, but when it comes to sparring, they might not have that extra drive. And some things are innate, some things you can learn. Uh, but at the end of the day, some things are just how you develop. Um, and when you say six to eight years old, I understand that. Like my six-year-old, she's just, she has this ability to pick up pretty much any sport and just kind of go with it. She just has that drive. Also, um, the ability to fail and how you take that failure, you can either just kind of break down or it pushes you even farther. So um, she's a great kid to watch skate. You fall, you get back up. And the coaches will say, yep, that's, that's a big part right there. It's not the falling, it's what you do after the fact. So that mindset is such a big key. I've always had to try extra hard. I'm 4'11", I'm a girl. I kind of get overlooked a little bit. So I always had to do things to stand out. And so I appeal to my strengths. I know uh, Coach Jalal, he's like control the controllables. That was his kind of his mantra a little bit and so I, I think I had that for a very long time it's okay well what's in my control well I'm fast I can get down I can do this it's like working those strengths so uh, batting again I have a pretty I'm pretty strong in the foundational aspects um, I have a good hip drive so I can kind of really crank it and then just working on form so sometimes it's just learning those skills within it and just to fine-tune even my batting has been getting better over the time working on form, not just strength, because you, you don't have to be very strong to play very well and use those strategies, but everything altogether, it just can get explosive. Bowling on the other hand, I'm a lefty. I bat right. I am a lefty. So it's been difficult for me to learn because all of my coaches are righties and I don't have a whole lot of lefty bowlers to kind of um, in person watch. So a lot of that has been um, watching things online and then researching slow motion and then just getting in front of a mirror and just kind of pretending I know what I'm doing. And I'll just do that over and over and over again. So I'm still working on that, that piece. But I think if I fine tune that, I can be a little bit more competitive in that respect. So I guess bowling would be the more difficult one. And that's just my left-handedness talking. But I know the strength is there. Oh, and then also just running. I'm fast. 
I was probably one of the fastest ones on the team. <laughs> and I, and I think that's, that's a, a big growth opportunity for girls coming up is that, is that athleticism and that piece of training. And I think there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of growth opportunities there. Cause I did do some research, you know, overseas in England and in Australia, they have these training camps and it's not just how they play, it's how they train. And that repetition of certain movements to build strength, explosive movements. And, and that's kind of how I train back at home. When I'm at the gym, I do a lot of strength training, um, explosive training, box jumps, can't stand them, but they are so, so good. <laughs> now you, you touched on something there that I find really interesting. I've heard a lot of other players in the past talk about, yeah, they learned elements of cricket from watching YouTube where they got sucked in and kind of self-taught various things about mm-hmm. their own game from YouTube, but they're still able to apply a lot of the things in person. They get enough in-person support, coaching support and developmental support, even if mm-hmm. YouTube is that initial spark. But you said something that really struck me there. The fact that you're left-handed as a bowler mm-hmm. has made it really, really challenging because as you said, being a left-handed bowler is unique in, in most places, but especially mm-hmm. in Minnesota, I would imagine. And so even mm-hmm. if you're trying to learn things on YouTube, there is nobody locally. Mm-hmm. And there's very few people probably nationally who, who would mm-hmm. even think of something that's specialized that you can't just have a generalized bowling coach. There's places now at the elite level that have started to take on, you've got fast bowling coaches versus spin bowling coaches. You've got a very specific mm-hmm. spin bowling coach or even say a leg spin coach even just having a spin point coach isn't enough you've got to have a leg spin coach versus a finger spin coach um but for you to say i'm left arm bowler i don't have anybody who can teach me the proper mechanics of bowling left arm and even if you look at other sports i mean how many quarterbacks are there in the nfl who are left-handed or throw throw lefty very very rare you see a lot more baseball but in in football you know of the left-handed quarterbacks in the nfl i think Tua Tagovailoa is is the only one right now who's starting uh, across all the teams in the NFL for the Dolphins. And historically, I'm I'm thinking Steve Young and Michael Vick, and I don't really know too many others off the top of my head, you know. So it's very unusual in that regard. And hockey. And and hockey, yeah. I mean, um, you don't have many left-handed goalies. It's almost exclusively a right-hand dominant your strong hand is it's your stick hand as a goalie and your left hand is your catching hand as a goalie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all those kinds of things, what solutions do you try to come up with then to try and compensate for that lack of in-person coaching to be able to try and get you to where you want to be? Well, nobody back home wants to play catch with me, at least within my household. And uh, I've tried, got, I tried getting my neighbors to play and you know, they want to play a little bit, but they don't do what I want them to do. So it really is reduced to me throwing a ball at a wall or a net. Uh, I did buy some soccer nets and uh, I'll throw into that. So it's basically just finding my own personal form, getting my own personal feel, and then just working towards that consistency. So it's just that repetition of again and again and again. But I do need to get some more balls. I have two right now that I play with. Otherwise, I have, I got a whole bunch of tennis balls. So I got that. I wish our stores you know, had a good inventory, but everything is pretty much online. So I could be doing more, but I'm doing the best I can with what I got. And it, it's just been kind of busy with just our other leagues. You know, in the back of my mind is like, I should be playing more. I should be practicing more every day. And, you know, we got, we got goalies that I think of hockey, you got these guys that won the Stanley cup and 
you get to see how they bring the cup back to their their hometown and their their first net that they've ever had and it's just like this shoddy device or whatever but you know you don't really need a whole lot <laughs> I mean it's just tattered and everything else but I mean I, I feel like at the end of the day you can have some great players with really limited resources you just do with, with what you have so for me it's just I had a couple balls if, if I'm not consistent I gotta run and go get them so it's kind of a, a self-made punishment it's like oh well, if I didn't do it right I gotta go back and get it otherwise uh, and that was the same thing with basketball if I was practicing my shots because I I love that game as well. You know, if I was consistent on my shots, that ball would come right back to me. And that was kind of the reward. And then if I just kind of stunk really bad balls out into the street or something like that, I got to run and get it. And there's my punishment. So I create these like internal drills and that's kind of the best that I can work with right now. And I think that's what anybody can do, but uh, I think there's a more effective way in doing it, but that's kind of what I got. So, yeah. And, that, and that's just, you know, and the other thing, like with the videos, it's just, okay, I'm watching the guys form. Coach Jalal did give me a little bit of tips. My, you know, Charles back here, my leather ball coach, he's given me some tips and it's just again and again and again. Um, my habits are kind of like, you know, I, I try to throw like a baseball. So I got my elbow out. So he's just really helping me correct my form a little bit there. So some of it's on me. It's just being a good listener. And then the other part is just kind of having that mind body connection. You mentioned Charles is Charles Peterson. Who's one of the people who's yeah. up there in Minnesota. I want to ask about him in a minute, but, to kind of wrap up the point about the technical aspects just from hearing you talk you seem very very analytical you've got a very deep vision in terms of how you're approaching this where does this kind of desire to have this analytical mindset come from I mean is this something that you apply universally to all sports and all endeavors or is it something that you're particularly focused on for cricket purposes because again you're trying to play catch up haven't missed all this this time over the course of your life and you've got to <laughs> play catch up at warp speed to kind of catch up to where everybody else is. Um, or is there some other reason behind it? I wish I knew. Um, my, yeah, this approach has been there all the time. I love learning new things. I like taking up stuff and the, the competition within myself in general is more me versus me. What can I do? Can I do better? Can I push myself to the limits Again, with any sport or anything like that, I mean, I, right now I like to do powerlifting and it's like, well, if I can do 250, I can do 300. And I don't know where that comes from, but it's just like, well, if this person can do it, why can't I? And <laughs> sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's a hard life to live because of that drive that I have. But um, a lot of it is just, it's always been there. Uh, I kind of like to learn. If I learn something, I want to know everything about it as much as I can. And I just kind of like geek that way or just research and research and research. How is this person approaching it? How is that person doing it? If I understand more of that, then I can understand a little bit about myself and how I can kind of communicate competitively with those things. Uh, with cricket, uh, again, when I say dynamic, there is the competition aspect within myself and for me to do the best that I can. But also there is this responsibility that I have, for example, Kali, the one that recruited me in, um, initially, uh, her team, and then moving into other teams, and then their, their family members even, they're coaching us. And then Charles, for example, with the leather ball, I feel that I kind of owe it to them a little bit where if they're giving me information, if they're giving me instruction, if they're giving me their time, that I feel that I owe it to them to perform and to do my best. So I, felt, I feel that their time is valuable. So going back into the dynamic that I, of the game itself, it's not just me playing for myself, it's me playing for others and what I can do for them and to show them 
that their time hasn't been wasted because I've, I've had so many people, you know, around me that has carried me along the way this far in this short period of time. So it's just that constant cycle. And then the harder it gets or the, the better I do, everybody else is kind of coming along with me. They're performing, they're developing. So the bar just keeps raising higher and higher and higher. So once you think you reach a peak, you're like, oh, okay, we're cool. Nope, we got to raise that bar a little bit higher. Okay, now you can micromanage it here. You can do this better. You can do that better. And so that, that appeals to me as well because that kind of keeps me going and keeps me checked in. So, and that's, that, that I guess is the reward to kind of constantly move up that ladder of skill and performance. One of the other things too, you said, just to, I guess, wrap up this point about technical aspects yeah. of cricket and why technique is, is of interest. You said you're four foot 11. Yeah. And historically, <laughs> some of the best players in cricket history are some of the shortest in stature, especially on the men's side, somebody like Sachin Tendulkar, Don Bradman, Brian Lara, they're all in the five foot four to five foot six, five foot seven range. They're um, still taller than me. They're still taller than yes, that is true. That is true. But yeah, you know, again, even some of the current women's players uh, in in England and Australia and elsewhere, uh, you don't have to be big to be great in cricket. Whereas, yeah, you look at basketball. You know, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, Kevin Durant—they're all six foot eight or, or taller. Michael Jordan, six yeah. foot six, six foot seven. Um, and even the baseball players, yes. modern day, you know, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani is, is, I don't think a lot of people appreciate how big Shohei Otani is, uh, AL MVP last year, this guy from Japan who is yes. the, the next Seven. day, Ruth, who's, who's pitching and, and hitting home runs. I saw a game, I was in Oakland last year and saw the A's play the Angels. And the thing that stood out to me about Shohei Otani when I saw him in person, I couldn't believe how big he is. He stands six foot four, six foot five. Six four. He's he's a big unit. And you can understand where he gets all this power from as a hitter and then pitching as well. You don't see very many pitchers in baseball who are successful, who are under six foot tall. I think Pedro Martinez in recent memory might be one of the few who's who's kind of in the Hall of Fame class and and Tim yeah. Lincecum, Tim Lincecum for the Giants who won two Cy Young awards I believe and won a couple of World Series for the Giants but his career flamed out pretty quickly because just his body broke down pretty quickly as somebody who was I think yeah. five foot nine five foot ten. Um, yeah. Cricket is very different though. Uh, again, mm -hmm. it's not always you can be powerful and be successful but you can equally be successful as a finesse player and a timing and a, and a technical player. So from that standpoint. What, if anything, about that drew you into the game as somebody who is four foot eleven? Uh, so I'm four foot eleven, and I perceive myself as you know six two. So in my head, I'm you know <laughs> I'm a lot taller in my head than I really am. And but I always I kind of sometimes I have this depleting thought where you know if somebody else sees me, they don't take me seriously or you know, I'm just like a little guy. So I always assume when somebody sees me that they're going to see just a little guy and that I might not be taken as seriously. So I always feel that I have to prove myself in such a way because of my size. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that, but, you know, playing basketball, it, you know, I played varsity when I was in ninth grade. And I, again, you know, I had a lot of tall players and I knew that I was never going to play professionally as much as I wanted to. So I looked up to like Muncie Bogues. I'm like, well, he can do it. Why can't I? But I was fast and I just had to work on other things. So I had to be an outside shooter. I, I just had to be super fast. I had to be strategic. 
things like that. So, but I didn't realize that with cricket. And I mean, I, I do know that like with our girls, we have all sizes that are playing and we all have different strengths. And so it, it doesn't seem to matter there, but I just didn't know if for fielding, for example, I mean, if, if somebody's hitting a six and I'm a little bit taller, maybe I can reach a little bit higher and I got that, that going for me, but that's not always the case. But in terms of, you know, one of the things you said that throughout your life, you feel like you've been overlooked or you feel like you have to play bigger than you are to, to get noticed or, or prove yourself. Do you feel that that's yeah. been the case in Minnesota specifically or, or in general with cricket that you feel like you still have to kind of play bigger to get noticed or do you feel you fit in regardless of your stature on the field? So our, our teams have been insane fair. So they, they get everybody out there. Everybody's getting an opportunity. The folks that maybe still need some development, they get as much play time as anybody else. So it's, it's not so much about who's better, who's not. Everybody pretty much gets a fair shot. And that's where I feel that, again, that need to just kind of like thank everyone in such a way where um, for their time and everything is that they've given me opportunities. Like in the very beginning, I just sucked. I wasn't that good at all. I hate to use that word, but, um, but they stuck with me and we stick with other players and we all kind of developed together in that way. So that's been phenomenal. Um, so I never had that sense. They're always giving me a fair shot, but I was pretty happy though, that like last year and then this year when we were doing team selection for other league MTPL that I was auctioned off and I had pretty good rankings and, uh, I went for quite a bit of money too. So that was kind of, I mean, it was fake money, but, but it was a big honor um but it's, it's, still, it's a measure you might be fake money but it's a measure of what people perceive your value to be and what how much they want you and they're eager to recruit you that's a pretty good measure yeah, yeah it's super fun so it, it that piece was kind of cool I mean we had like fantasy teams and everything and it's it's just the coolest experience I've ever been in, in on just that again it just kind of speaks to the community that we have I mean everybody's so passionate it, it just pulls you in and then that's where you just want to you just want to keep doing your best well, don't, don't, so, I mean, hide. And, and, now that you've yeah. opened the can of worms, you can't hold back now. So what did you go for? <laughs> what, what is the salary cap budget in this auction and what did you go for? Uh, my, my parting bid was 50,000 and I went for 180,000. So that was kind of cool. So, and then I got selected by uh, this team called the steam builders or STEM builders, STEM uh, meaning like education. So we all yeah. have like these different sponsors. So um, our team is the STEM builders and it's kind of a, uh, an app platform for kids to learn uh, math science coding all that kind of stuff so not only was I on a kind of a, a cool team but uh it's kind of a neat thing so yeah but we had a couple other star players as well that went for a good a good penny one of the uh, opposing teams like team legend for example there's a girl in Leisha she's she's an insane bowler super fast super powerful um she's like a, a strategic uh, fielder as well I mean she's yelling at everybody and it's just when you're playing against her you're on top of it because she knows you and she kind of gets into your head and I love her strategy and her daughter is insane too her daughter's super good and so they're on the same team so I was on their team last year we got first place last year I'm not on their team this year so now I have I have some good competition to go for but we'll play together as well so she's kind of on our our main team but she's also on her sister team as well and then we'll be playing them this weekend. So you get these relationships. And, uh, yeah. So Charles Peterson, he's, you said he's your coach. He's one of the people who's yeah. very heavily involved in cricket in Minnesota and the league mm -hmm. there. How would you characterize his impact 
on your cricket journey? First of all, he is also a professor at the U of M. So he teaches cricket back home. And some of the players, one of her players, Chantel, she, she met him. She saw that he had a class. It was like probably like a one credit class. And she's like, oh, this is easy. I'll take it. She already had experience with cricket. Her, her father is a, a referee uh, or an umpire. And um, she's from Jamaica. So, I mean, it's, she's been playing it since she was five. And uh, Charles, he, uh, he just has been, you know, rallying to get folks to play um, young girls, everything else. And one way to describe him is he's incredibly patient because when we first started playing with him, I was so rusty that he had to show me like a million times again and again and again. And sometimes I'm kind of a, a hard nut to crack where, you know, I'm listening, I'm listening, but the rest of me is not listening. And eventually I think I might get it. But his his instructions have been pretty basic, but profound in the sense that I'm able to kind of build on those things that he's given because his time is really valuable and he's uh, we only see him maybe once a week and that's if we can make it out to a practice and we only have so much time but uh, he's been a huge advocate and then he's I think he also helped organize the introduction for us to go down to Texas and play and he's really trying to build a team here a leather ball team and organize uh, matches and events but I know it's it's a challenge for him as well, just getting the time and resources and of course the participation. So, I mean, a lot of us have families, work, travel. And uh, so it's it's still kind of clawing the way into that area, but, but he's he's incredibly involved. So, and he, and he does it for free. So, I mean, there's no like incentive, so to speak, other than, I mean, he's just super passionate and he's out there. I don't think too many people were. I don't think too many people are making a heavy buck uh, charging for oh. for cricket lessons uh, around America in particular. But, Definitely uh, not. So yes, he's he's one of many in that regard. But you said oh, he's, special. He, he's yeah no he's people like him are are if they're getting you involved and getting other people involved and again teaching a, a class at the university, a credit class. This is not, you know, uh, uh, an audit class. This is a credit class. You can get credit mm. at of Minnesota for going to, to a class about cricket. Where else can you do that in America? It might be Go do places, it. But yeah. No. So that, there you go. For people who are interested, if you want to, if you want to get university credit for cricket, University of Minnesota is the place to do it. Go to the Twin Cities. 100%, 100%. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. Dream Cricket Store can help you fill up all of your cricket kit requirements. Anything you need. Bats, helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, and more. Go to DreamCricketStore.com now and get 15% off your first order. Dream Cricket Store also offers free shipping on all orders over $200. Again, go to www.DreamCricketStore.com to take advantage of that great offer today. This episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now the first ODI accredited venue in the Lone Star State, located at 5515 McKeever Road, County Road 100 in Pearland. Five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Musa also has two nursery 
grounds on the north side of the stadium boundary available for use. For more information, visit www.moosastadium.com. That's M-O-O-S-A-Stadium.com. Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Crickbuster. Based in Florida, Crickbuster is an ICC-designated official travel agent for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia. If you're a cricket fan living in the USA and you need match tickets, flights, hotels, stadium tours, or want to organize other sightseeing activities down under this October, Crickbuster is a one-stop shop for all of your touring needs. Visit www.crickbuster.com to begin planning your trip today. And now back to the episode. So Charles, you also said he's somebody who helped facilitate the opportunity for you down in Texas for the regionals. Mm -hmm. So what was the pathway? How did you get involved? Was it specifically on Charles's recommendation or was there some other way that you were playing in events that would have gotten you recognized to get an invite to go down to Texas for the USA Cricket Women's Regional Tournament? There might have been other girls that also kind of were involved with that as well, but um, uh, we had Ashani and uh, Bhavana that had played last year uh, with them and I and I think it, I was approached with that then but I wasn't ready mentally or anything like that and I didn't feel that it was appropriate for me to go down I feel that it was Charles maybe a few other girls on our team that wanted to go down and represent but it was just constantly you know reaching out to us does anybody want to play? I mean he's always the one that's kind of reaching out throwing out stuff for us to um, kind of like a a worm on a hook you want to do this you want to do that and it's just like yeah I want to do it but will it work out um, so once the opportunity finally came along, we had to, uh, get a group of girls, go to practice, get some video of us playing. And it was, it was pretty meager, but, um, they, I think they just wanted to see if we could play. And, uh, so you are so the only person, video. so you weren't the only person from Minnesota who, so this starts with the inter-regionals. So before the regionals in, in Houston that I saw mm-hmm. you at, there was the inter-regionals prior to that, which was also in Houston. And you're saying there were multiple girls or women's players from Minnesota or from your, your club and your league specifically that you were traveling with and playing with that were able to be part of this team. Yep. Yep. Um, So yeah, Navita and uh, Trujana came down with me, which was great because then I had, I had some girls back home that we went down. We had obviously more girls that wanted to come down, but they had certain reasons where they couldn't come down. And so it was just really the three of us that went down together. And again, it was, it was great. So, so this was a couple of weeks prior to the regionals mm-hmm. and how would you evaluate your performance at the intra regionals in terms of were you expecting to get an invite? Were you surprised to get an invite? Take us through the process from your performances at the intra regional event, which then fed into the regional event that you got an invitation to be selected for the Southwest region team. Uh, well, one, I was happy just to go down and play and that was my intent was just to go down and have some experience playing. And that that alone was was worth it to me. I didn't know how much I was gonna play. I didn't really get to bat as much as I wanted to. I think I batted um, the one evening because our games were pushed because of wonderful weather down in Texas. So it was raining and uh, we ended up at a different field and the field wasn't that great. But for me, I don't care. I mean, bring on the bad conditions, I'll play in anything. That's, that's like the least of my concern. I, I know that when I was batting, uh, I was kind of at the bottom of the lineup and I remember Wicked keep saying, oh, easy wicket, easy wicket. And I looked at her, I'm like, what? So uh, I think I hit like 20 smart points or something like that. 
um, my bat was brand new. My bat wasn't properly knocked in or anything like that. So when I did swing and hit, it was so frustrating because it went nowhere. So I finally got out, but um, but I got to play a little bit. And I was playing with one of my girls, Navita, who she's my favorite to play with because we just kind of, we communicate really well. I mean, she tell, she'll yell at me. She's like, go, go, go. So I, I love that. I'm like, you know, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Let's go. So I'm like, don't leave me. Don't leave me. And so it was really fun to bat with her down there. Uh, you know, there's frogs bouncing around the field and everything. So it was just super bizarre. But it was a great night for me anyway. And so I was able to hit a couple balls. But nothing, nothing spectacular. So when they were announcing to check your email and all that stuff, I didn't even bother to look because I thought, yeah, I'm not going back. There was other girls that were playing phenomenal that week. So I just wasn't expecting anything. The other two girls didn't get asked to come back. So I just didn't even bother. And then I got a phone call, I think, after I arrived back home. And uh, they said, check your email. And I'm like, I didn't see anything. And turns out that they had the wrong email. And then they're like, yeah, we want you to come back. So I was like, oh, shoot. money. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, can I do this? Can I do this? I didn't even know if it was going to work out because the day that we, I had to leave, it was my daughter's birthday. And so I was going to miss out on that uh, again because I actually, the first time I was down, I missed her birthday. So we rescheduled her birthday party um, later in the, that month. And so I was like, oh, shoot, I got to leave during her birthday party. I'm like, can I do this? And I had so much other stuff going on with work. So there were so many times where I'm just like, no, this isn't worth it. I'm just not going to do it. Um, and then I think they did say something in the lines of, you know, you're not guaranteed to play, but, um, you know, we'd like you to be there. So uh, my husband was super supportive. He's like, you know, he's like, you just got to do it. He's like, if you don't do it, you're going to regret it later. And so I'm like, all right, fine. So we just made it work and went down down again so um I know Rashina Paul was working very close with us in that whole process and then once that kind of happened and then she kind of phased out because her job was done and so but you know being alone the second time it was kind of like all right so see what happens this is Snigda's mom or is this some other yeah Snigda's mom okay yeah Snig Snigs Snigda's mom is so Rashna is one of the regional coordinators, regional USA cricket women's volunteer coordinators who's down in yeah. base in Texas. So she was the one who was trying to facilitate all this, trying to coordinate the players to come into yeah. Texas. The yeah, she was working her tail off. So did you wind up staying for the birthday party? Or did, you, did you have to leave earlier? What happened in, in terms of flights or drive? Did, and did you fly down? Did you drive down? I don't even know that part of the story. What? How did you get to Texas? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, so our neighborhood is a pretty tight community. So we have uh, we had actually two other girls with a birthday. So we coordinated a birthday party with three girls, and I rescheduled the time so that after uh, the event was over, I was already packed and ready to go. And then I left immediately after the party. Airport. Yeah, there's no driving. It's a long drive. Um, but I was happy to get back down to Bucky's. That place is crazy. The gas station down in Texas. <laughs> My friends think I'm crazy. I'm like, fuck you, that's the best place ever. I was looking forward to that. No, but um, yeah, so I left the birthday party right away. I was just in and out. But I was able to be here long enough to be checked in and, you know, present for everything. But there was, it was just back-to-back -back crazy chaos. Uh, starting a new job, so I was training for that. So I'm just kind of like, okay, today I'm focused on this. Today I'm focused on this. And, th and that's where a lot of the kind of not regret I was disappointed that I wasn't able to fully focus on practicing at home or just preparing myself physically for 
for play because there was really no opportunity to do that. We've had a couple options to practice, but we had things going on. So I was just kind of coming in raw. When you got to Texas, what was your expectation for that tournament? You said Rajna told you over the phone or beforehand in the buildup that there was no guarantee you would get to do anything. But my understanding was that the coaches were all told and specifically communicated to all the coaches, both verbally and in WhatsApp texts, that because all the players are paying their own way, everybody has to bat mm-hmm. at least once and or everybody has to bowl at least once because, again, mm-hmm. USA, USA Cricket was not putting the bill for this, even though it was a USA Cricket-branded event. It was the players because for a variety of reasons, USA Cricket just doesn't have the money and mm-hmm. the players themselves, if if they want to come, they yeah they're basically told you got to foot the bill. But there's yeah. a, a, there's a reciprocal understanding there that because you are paying your own way, it's not necessarily a a win at all costs, and we're going to be picking the best players in the best positions at all times. There's a developmental aspect to it where we want to see where everybody stands. We want to get a chance to evaluate everybody, and so we're taking more of a developmental approach rather than win 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 win. And everybody's going to get a chance to play. So from that standpoint, what was communicated to you in that regard before the start of the event? And yeah, did your expectations change from what you were initially told, I guess, from Rajna Paul in terms of you may or may not get a chance between then and when you actually got there before you took the field for the first time on day one? Yeah, so I I guess I had this impression that I may not get to play. I think that's and it wasn't a, a formal communication, but that's where, you know, this, this mindset of, well, what if, and I've always had this, what if, well, okay, fine. I got this opportunity. There's a door open. I'm going to get through it. Now or never kind of thing. So if it's great, if I don't get to play, well, at least I gave it my best shot with what was in my control and so I keep practicing and everything. I was just all in, you know, um, do the best I could just to kind of show that I can move. I'm capable. So up until the very last day, I still had the, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. So, you know, and again, I was a little disappointed. Thanks for the marble fog. <laughs> By the way, it was like the end of a hot day. It was like 100 degrees and I was tired. So, you know, it was a big bummer. I was under the impression that it wasn't guaranteed. And again, it wasn't a formal communication. I don't believe, I don't even remember where it came from, but I did have this mindset of, I may not get to play. But if I do get to play, I'm just going to do the best I can. So uh, even when it came to practice, I would just go all in and just be there. But uh, I mean, I was able to field. I mean, that was great. I was able to kind of participate that way. And because I feel like every player has a value, whether they're batting, bowling or fielding, those are all areas that you can excel at and support the team. So and, and that that was my other mindset as well, is there's a lot of girls that were younger than me that have already played. And I knew that some of them were going to be selected. So I didn't want to get in the way of that either. So when, for example, I wasn't in a lineup or I wasn't playing that game that day, I kind of took it as, you know, that was a bummer for me, but I didn't want to be greedy because there was girls that probably can really excel in the future, that they have the chance to um, showcase their skills. And so I was hoping just to be supportive in that way as well. So, I mean, just me being there representing Minnesota was huge for me, but obviously, you know, that disappointment's there because it's like, I wasn't able to kind of show what I had to offer 
you know, I have a lot of people back home that, why didn't you play? Where are you? What time are you uh, going to be playing today? Because everybody back home was dialed in. They're watching online every single day waiting. And so I felt bad for them as well. And we can't communicate while we're playing because, you know, they take their phones. So there's no communication. So they're waiting. So they're, they're checked in for those three to four days. And uh, so, and then, so I, I just got nothing for them. So there was that disappointment, but I, and, you know, I'm like, well, maybe, and they said, well, maybe you're going to play. So I'm telling everybody else, maybe. And so I felt like I let a lot of other people down. So it wasn't so much, you know, my ego saying, well, how come I didn't get to play? It was, you know, well, maybe it was because of this. Maybe it was because of that. Maybe that they needed a certain, certain player for a certain situation. Um, I wish we would have won a game, then it would have felt better, <laughs> but we didn't win any games. So I'm like, well, I didn't participate in those, uh, those wins, but I could have, I felt that, you know, maybe I could have helped a little bit, but so it, it got all these things that going on at the same time. And yeah. Yeah. From the context afterward, mm-hmm. learning that you were literally the only player who did not get to do batting or bowling. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction upon coming to that realization? Oh, I was ready to go home. It was a long week. So, I mean, I spent two weeks away from my home, spent a lot of money, which is fine. I mean, I, I went in with my eyes wide open, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a big level of disappointment. Yeah, a lot of, you know, this I felt pretty drained about it, but uh, after coming home, I did have overwhelming support and I wasn't expecting that. So I think a lot of that kind of carried me through and kind of brought me back up again. But I didn't want that to take away. I didn't want it to be a negative anyway for anybody because my whole intention for going down was to be positive, not just for myself, but, you know, again, for everybody back home. And so that's where I kind of really felt this unfulfilled mission that I had. So that that was kind of lingering and it's it's still kind of there. But, um, you know, we always want to do well. And that's just the way it goes. But, you know, if it's not that, it's an injury or something like that, too. So, I mean, it, this is how it kind of came out. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to go over about that. Mm-hmm. You talked about the positive response you got from back home, and I, I do want to touch on that. But first, mm-hmm. um, you had sent me a message afterwards, and after I had made the post on, on Facebook about what had happened. And mm-hmm. in part of your message, you said – you interpreted your not being given a chance to batter bowl. This is what you texted me. You said you felt that it was because, quote, I didn't try hard enough or I play well enough for that short period of time. And mm-hmm. when I read that, I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, it, it hit me like, it hit me right here, like, oh, Jesus, like, I can't believe, like, Crystal is is thinking it's that you know she she's got you've got you've got such a positive a viewpoint and and very sincere viewpoint but i i just thought like like oh i felt like you had been seriously wronged and and you you took it literally in terms of a competitive standpoint well i must not have gotten picked because coaches thought i wasn't good enough when in reality the information i had what was communicated to all the coaches was that mm-hmm. no it wasn't meant to be about we want to pick the best 11 at all times. It was, we want to make sure everybody gets, gets a chance and you didn't get a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the the overriding thought from my mind when mm-hmm. I left that event was about you specifically was, I don't know how Crystal could have batted 
And I would have loved to find out if she'd gotten a chance. Yeah. Could she have come in if she opened the batting, if she came in five, six, eight, whatever, would she have hit a boundary off the first ball? Would she have been blocking like a lot of the other players were? Would she have been swinging and missing? I don't know. And that was my mm-hmm. frustration that it's hard for me to form an opinion about how you played or what you were capable of simply because there was this great unknown. We never knew because mm-hmm. we never got to see. And that was, that was my own uh, frustration in covering the event. Or if, if, you know, if you take it from a selector's perspective, if this is an event where everybody is supposed to get a chance to be evaluated, well, how on earth would a selector have been able to evaluate you if they never got a chance to see what you were capable of? And that, that was my great frustration. And then to read your text yeah. and, and to see you say, well, I must not have gotten picked because they thought I wasn't good enough. I just thought I, that really cut me um, as even as a neutral per- person, as, as uh, an outsider, I thought, oh, Jesus, like, like, I can't believe Crystal's thinking this, that you were, like I said, I felt you were wronged and you're still think- thinking like, nah, it's, it's okay. I probably wasn't picked because it wasn't good enough. So from the standpoint of that, were you honestly told by anybody, by the coach or the captain that I'm not picking you or you're not batting here because you're not good enough? Or did you just form that opinion on your own based on the kind of unspoken message of where you were being placed? Yeah, as far as communication, there wasn't a whole lot. It was, they read off the list of who's playing and or who was actually participating in the game. And I thought maybe I'd get the T40, but because it was a longer game, but it was just your name's not called. And that was it. So no really explanation as far as that goes. So, you know, the way that I interpret things is like, well, I just got to do better. I'm just not um, displaying enough. And it was a little difficult because we didn't have a whole lot of practice time. I mean, I did form some assumptions. The team knew each other. A lot of the teammates knew each other. They had a history. So they kind of felt comfortable in that space. Um, of course, the coach didn't know anyone, so he didn't have a lot of background to go by. So I just kind of assumed that familiarity was a big driver in those select that selection process. The final day, we did have a little opportunity to hit the batting cages. I know that that wasn't, not everybody wanted to hit the batting cages that day. They just wanted to play, but I really wanted to because I figured if I didn't, if I didn't go in the cages, at least then I wouldn't have any chance to, to practice. So I was super all in on that one. And then I was able to finally bowl just a little bit back there. But again, it's like, you know, I haven't had a chance to play for a couple weeks. And so I was pretty rusty. So it's like, okay, well, if I don't play 100% during practice, maybe that could be a part, part of the reason why. But, uh, you know, I did feel a little overlooked. But again, it just, I kind of assumed, well, I'm just this outsider coming down. I almost felt like it was kind of a, they just needed to fill a space. So I was just there kind of filling the space. Did anybody speak up on your behalf either on the second day or the third day in particular, the, the third and final match day to try and speak up for you? You you didn't strike me as somebody when I was around the team. Uh, well, I, I would say, are, are you winning? Nobody, it didn't seem like a, a team setting where people were going to be jumping up and down, chatting for us. I want to do this. I want to do that. It was, it, it yeah. seemed like there was, it was left to the captain and the coach to kind of decide things. But, yeah. did, but did anybody speak up on your behalf to say, well, Crystal hasn't gotten an opportunity yet. Why isn't she getting one? And maybe she should be batting up the order today or given an opportunity. Did anybody do anything like that? Yeah, a couple of girls did. Um, I know, I think I was at the bottom of the list on the last day or somewhere near the the bottom. I didn't really know the whole order but I think it was uh Tia that had offered up her spot she's like why don't you 
move up to my position in the lineup and play. But by then, I think there's no way I would have played because we were so far down. So, um, so one of the players did offer that, that spot, which was very uncomfortable for me because again, I don't want to, I don't think a player should have to make that choice. And then I don't want to have to be the one to take, take that spot either. I would rather have had it kind of already determined because I put, it just puts me in a weird spot. And then I don't want to like have that. I mean, I, I don't mind having pressure, but it's just a weird, it's a weird pressure to have. So, I mean, I really appreciate it that, that she was offering up that, that place, but I just, I don't want to get something out of pity. I want it to be because it's earned or right. if there's a valid reason behind it. So that was, that was just kind of weird. And again, it wasn't for lack of appreciation because I think it was completely there, but um, I was more hoping for an actual strategy overall on that. And it wasn't quite there. So there was a little bit of confusion on leadership, I think. When you say confusion on leadership, who who did you feel should have taken more responsibility in that situation, the captain or the coach or, or both or somebody else in that regard? Do you think somebody from USA Cricket who was overseeing the event uh, should have stepped in if they were kind of aware of what was going on? Well, that's not for me to say. I do know that they had, they had team meetings beforehand and, you know, the players usually aren't involved in that. So as far as leadership goes, to have a cohesive mission and understanding for everyone, I, I think that's just assumed, at least for me. And then having that strategy, of course, a lot of people are playing with a coach maybe that they don't have experience with because, um, you know, you still have to get to know the players. So they might, I, I, I'm not sure if there's like a, a lack of, of gelling of that relationship. So I, I can't speak to it. I don't know. And I don't want to say either because it's just, it, you know, I, I just trust that people were making the decisions that they did based on what they felt was right. Because I know that the captain had her, her role into producing a good group and strategy to play. Uh, I know the coach, I, I don't quite understand what the role was for him as far as his, his say in the overall process. I know in the field, the captain is just, she's calling the shots doing the very best she's, that she can, as we all are. And again, it's, as a player, I put faith in that leadership and it's not for me to question. So I can only hope that, you know, those things are kind of taken into account. But again, it's a learning process for everybody. You talked about it being a learning process for everybody and for you specifically, mm-hmm. about what had happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, based on the experience that you had in Texas, especially on that second weekend with, or the second week, I guess, with the regionals, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and knowing that you paid out of pocket, would you ever consider going back to a USA cricket tournament like that ever again? Um, that would be a hard, that would be a hard maybe <laughs> because it was a lot of effort to get down there and the stars were aligned for me to go this last time. I just want to play. So I really don't have any overall intentions. I want to play. I want to represent if the opportunity comes again, a big, maybe I've had people reach out to me, East coast, West coast to come play for them. I don't have any affiliation um, with anyone. I would love to see Minnesota Minnesota and the Northwest region or North Central region, I guess, to bring our own group. So I would rather have that. I would rather represent up here than go down because then we have our own community, our own de- developmental team and play that way. So yes, maybe, but I, ca- I can't speak to 
um, other players and how they viewed my experience and how they would want to go down because they would be nervous because some other people can't take that type of risk, yeah. um, either financially or with time. Um, if, you, if you look at it that way, it's, it's, it's a big maybe. So it's like, well, would that happen to me again? Um, I've heard stories of other players where, you know, they, they didn't quite get the experience that they wanted um, or they felt that they weren't heard maybe. So me being an American, you know, I've, I've kind of got this feedback of, well, if it was me, I probably, somebody else, they probably would have just ignored the whole situation. They would just kind of brush it on the table. But me being who I am um, and as an American, um, maybe drawing out a little more visibility, I guess you want to say. So I take that into consideration as well. It's like, well, it is what it is. But again, I would prefer to have our own region represented and I'd rather play for our own region and, you know, show everyone what we have here. But until then we do the best we can in other locations. Now you said, you, so that's not an, a non-answer. <laughs> no, 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 but, but yeah, you know, it makes sense. I think part of the reason that factored into it, you touched on in, in multiple ways, you were going out essentially to play for what was a Texas team. All the players there were from either Houston or Dallas, essentially mm-hmm. with the exception of yourself and the familiarity that they had with each other. I, I've mm-hmm. had a bunch of people say to me, oh, this is this is proof that there are a bunch of racists down there. And I don't feel that. And I've been no. in similar situations where I'm the only white guy on the team. And I've had other guests on who are the only white person in the team. Jason Fox is somebody in Kansas growing up uh, playing for USA under 15 teams and regional teams in the Central East region. And talks about his experiences in one of the previous episodes I did where I interviewed him and, and he said, yeah, it can be awkward um, being the only white person from a cultural dynamic, but he didn't ever feel like when he was overlooked or neglected or didn't get paid, at least talking to him and talking to other people, the general consensus is they don't feel like there's racist element to it, but there's definitely a sense of people looking out for their own. So yeah. if it's a Texas-based team, they're going to tend to favor the Texas-based players, or if it's uh, a Florida-based team or California-based team, they're going to look out for people in San Francisco, or they're going to look out for people in Los Angeles. And yeah. that's if they just also happen to be ethnically Indian or ethnically West Indian or ethnically something else, that's just a byproduct of that. But I've never felt personally like there's a racial element to it. I felt like it was more the fact that because you were from Minnesota and if if yeah. your teammates from Minnesota had also come down who are ethnically Indian, there's a high probability yeah. that they probably might have faced the same situation because they're essentially the outsiders in that team entering Texas where they're not being represented. Yeah. Whereas you said, if you've got a team that's Minnesota centric, that's yeah. represented by Minnesota and everybody who's in the coaching setup or the administration and the selection and whatever is all Minnesota based or familiar with each other, then this kind of thing is probably less likely to happen in the future. So from that standpoint, what you said, if, if you wanted to represent a Minnesota team going forward you'd be much more likely to do that which makes sense and from that standpoint too you talked about the support you received now you said you got a lot of support back home after you came back home and invitations to go out to the east coast the west coast and i posted what i posted on facebook which it might be the most popular for lack of a better word post i've ever had on my my page in a decade's worth of reporting on u.s cricket A, a decent post for me might get a hundred likes or responses and maybe 20 or 30 comments. This post somehow went viral 
and yeah. got more than 1200 reactions it had more than 120 shares it has more than 400 comments on it i've never had a reaction to this post of all the things i've covered in international cricket whether it's nepal or afghanistan which have huge fan followings or u.s national team matches internationally crystal's ends is the post that got the biggest reaction around the world and it wasn't just people from america there are people from all around the world who were reacting and with outrage about what happened to you but also like you said support I can't believe yeah. how many responses I got from people, whether locally, Bert Cockley, who's been affiliated with IPL teams and played for New South Wales and is now based mm -hmm. in Texas and coaching. He said he met you and he had a great experience interacting with you. And that, he got, was a amazing. Huge, that got a huge reaction. But then also people, you know, I, I made a list. There's, there's invitations. I don't know if you saw it through all the comments, but there's invitations from people from yorkshire and melbourne down in victoria and cambridge in the uk and other parts of melbourne there's multiple people from melbourne and, and yorkshire as well and cornwall in the uk and a cricket club in kent and a cricket club in, in coogee and, and outside of sydney and new south wales all these people from around the world were extending you invitations saying crystal come on come on down to coogee to new south wales come to, to yorkshire come to cambridge come to cornwall uh come to melbourne like anytime you're here you've got an open invitation you can play for us so in terms of the positive element of the reaction that you got, what did that mean to you? And, and how did you kind of interpret all these messages and feedback that was coming in your way in that regard, whether locally from yeah. within Minnesota or from way beyond? Yeah, I was, well, one, I wasn't expecting any of that. I was actually just online looking for photos just to share with my friends back home of our experience down there. So when I saw it, I was like, what is this? And I didn't even actually check in. I didn't even read the entire piece because blacked out of whoa where did that come from because again it was I took the entire thing personally I'm like this is something that I just didn't do so I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that type of feedback and and viewpoint so but then I had to step back a little bit because I just it's not my personality to again not wanted to make anything out of a negative but you know thinking to myself how can I make this into a positive for my folks back home and that's when I started getting responses back from my folks back home. And so, yeah, again, you know, a lot of people reaching out. The ones that really stuck out to me, though, were the ones where they would say something like, that's cricket. Welcome to cricket. I remember playing five or six games and not being on the list once, stuff like that, you know, or, you know. <laughs> so, so I kind of, I took those, those comments to note as well. And I, and I know that everybody's coming, coming from a different space in a different viewpoint. So I was kind of having an open mind of where these comments were coming from and what they meant. And it was actually heartfelt because knowing that there's kids out there that are looking for an opportunity and they're being overlooked. And that's where it's like, you know, you want everybody to get a chance. You want, you never know. I mean, I was watching on the plane back home from Massachusetts. What was it? The natural? Have you ever seen that baseball movie? Of course. Robert Redford's a classic. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, it's just it's like you, you give somebody a shot, you just don't know. And I mean, I, I so I just think it's just an example of, you know, there could be another kid just like me. And uh, you just, you kind of roll the dice, you just don't know, but having a little bit of faith in people. But so I, again, I don't know where a lot of the comments were kind of coming from, but it was just a huge, overwhelming and I tried answering as many as I could too, because when somebody reaches out to me, I'm not going to just kind of go somebody. Um, I, I tried reaching out to as many as I could. And some of them, I just thought they're just kind of, yeah, come on out. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. 
Are you serious? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I've been coming out to Australia. I've told a few people, I said, I've always wanted to go to Australia. Um, my elementary school, we had a principal from our sister school in Australia visit. I think I was in fourth grade. And um, that sparked my interest of always wanting to go. But unfortunately, he never talked about cricket. So, and I still have that picture in my yearbook. So I'm like, oh, you know, it is time for me to get, get out there. But, um, and uh, you know, my former boss, he would tell me stories of being in Australia, playing cricket in the hallways of the office, like people play all over the place. So, um, but it just kind of speaks to the passion of the sport. And uh, uh, one person uh, in particular, Andrew Agernim, I'm not sure he reached out to you. Yeah. He's from uh, Victoria, Australia. Yeah. He took it one step further. He's actually sending me something. I should, it should be arriving on Friday. I don't know what he's sending me. It might be a kit or something. I don't know. Uh, but he's sending something to me and I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, I, I don't deserve that kind of thing. I'm just out there just wanting to play. So uh, I really appreciate everybody's feedback, but it's just like, yeah. He has sworn me to secrecy. You know, I don't have to say what it is, but you'll see it when it comes. Yeah. So whatever it is, it's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. I mean, who doesn't love, you know, when, when FedEx or somebody comes to the front door, I mean, you get a little excited. So it's like Christmas time. So I'm pretty excited a little bit, you know, that's just in my nature. I'm a girl. I like to shop. So <laughs> I don't know, but um, huge shout out to him though, just for reaching out and uh, you know, and him and everybody else just for their support. Um, I know Emily Reynolds, I think she might've reached out to you as well. Um, she just kind of offered up her, her voice a little bit. So, I mean, it, it wasn't so much, about what happened but it's just that to being heard and seen that as well that meant a lot to me as well so because I wasn't expecting anything I was just kind of hoping to crawl under a hole and just fade out <laughs> and it didn't work out that way so but you still didn't get as many views as my cats my my niece did a tiktok of my cats one time and she got 15 million hits well so. <laughs> anything that's so, got a, a, anything with a dog or cat in it is bound to get I mean the biggest uh cricket photo in terms of impressions and reach that I've ever taken was a dog running onto a cricket field to stop play so anything yeah. with a dog or cat yeah. is bound to get all the hits I, I, I yeah if I could blend uh, a cat video with cricket that would be by far my Priceless. traffic driver anything in, in history oh. for sure so but one of the things yeah. uh, seriously that you touched on he said, oh, some of the comments you saw were, oh, well, that's cricket. This happens or it's happened to me too. Yeah. It's happened to me, but yeah. in, in club cricket, it's happened to me where I've had to drive 10 minutes for a match and I've played and we go out there and yeah, we might bet down to seven or eight. And if I was due to come in at eight or whatever, or a few times, I'm, I'm typically a second 11 player. From yeah. my club, but the few times where I've been asked to play in the first 11, it's with the understanding that I'm, I'm filling in for somebody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. somebody's dropped out late and they need me to field. They need a good fielder. So I'm being asked to go field in the first 11, but more or less it's with the understanding. You're not probably going to, you're not going to bowl and there's probably a good yeah. chance you're not going to get the bat, but do you want to come yeah. play for the first 11? Yes. It's yeah. a 10 minute drive. There's a big difference between that, a 10 minute drive versus flying 1100 miles and paying out of pocket. You know, a, there's a big difference between paying uh, for 10 minutes of, uh, worth of gas you know the three you know uh, uh three or four mile drive of gas which you know might be 50 cents of gas versus paying for a plane ticket and hotel rooms and not getting a chance to play and, and somebody saying well that's cricket no that, that, that's a big difference yeah so i mean 
that was the frustration I had in, in terms of as an, an outsider seeing somebody get treated in that way. But of all the things you said and you talked about, the response in a lot of ways was very, very positive. What for you has been the biggest positive to come out of this entire experience that happened in Texas for you? Well, you know, the group of girls that we played with, they're they're all phenomenal uh, athletes. So they were probably my my number one positive experience, just watching them play and how they played, um, how their mindset was, you know, you just kind of fed off that energy. So that was, that was in of itself, totally worth it. I mean, it was just great being around those guys. Again, just being on the field, just experiencing what it's like to put, play a proper game. That was just meant right there. You can't really get that back home yet. And I say yet, because I feel that we're getting there, but just to be in that space, it really kind of fed this, this desire that I had to, to be a part of it, but it also kind of drove me to like, you know, I want more, I want more. Um, we come back home, we play a T20. And I'm like, can we play T40? I mean, this isn't enough time to play. I just want to keep playing. I don't want to stop. So and that's the other drive of doing well, because if you do well, you get to play more. Um, if you get to play more, you get better, you get more challenged, um, more experienced. So still hungry in that respect. So it was just, it was like a taste, but it just, it didn't quite scratch that itch. So it was, so it's incom this incomplete feeling, I guess, but still grateful for those opportunities as well, because I wasn't, ex my expectations are pretty low. <laughs> so I was just kind of up to go from there, you know, and just being down in Texas and experiencing that, that different weather compared to what we have back home. That was a whole different ballpark as well. Um, I can see I acclimate over time. Um, I was still working on that, but uh, yeah. And I, you know, in coming back home, it's like, well, how can we replicate that here? How, what can I bring that I learned down there back home? So there's plenty of unfinished business, but I think that's just the way it is. Um, always that growth opportunity. One more question before we get to the favorite 11, your family, okay. I've, I've not asked yeah. you this. So your family, whether it's your husband, your kids, your brother, anybody else in your extended family, what do they think of your fascination and passion for cricket? Is this, oh, is this Crystal being just Crystal being a bit of a, a crazy person or is this like, wow, this is amazing? Or what is their general yeah. reaction? Yeah, no, I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you know, they, I, know I, I think sometimes they don't know when to take me seriously because I'm always kind of a what if or let's do this, let's do that. I don't like to hear the word no very often. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think of Tim Gunn, make it work. So the second I have my sights on something, I really like to go for it. And I kind of go in blindly and maybe a little naive, but um, I go all in. So a lot of my family know, members know to kind of get out of my way. Uh, my husband's been super supportive. So he's been helpful in making things work out. My siblings, they think it's pretty cool, but they still don't quite understand. Um, they have their own busy lives to worry about. So at the end of the day, it's really just kind of me and me fighting to, to get some play in. So if I want to go to practice, it's kind of a negotiation, a daily negotiation. Can I make practice this day? Can you do watch the kids this day? Can I get here this day? Uh, can I borrow some money? Because it's a little bit out of my means for this or whatever. So I'd like to think that they're supportive, but I'm also very annoying. <laughs> so it's like, because I want more, I want more. And it's okay. So it's constantly negotiating what I can get away with or like, but I really just kind of pick my battles and there's been a lot of times where I've had to turn some stuff down. I wanted to go down to play Missouri uh, over Labor Day weekend. I had an invite from them and that's just not in the cards for me right now. It's too close to the last two trips. So for me, it's just like I'm bummed because I really want to go down and play. 
but I think that there there might be other opportunities in the future. But um, I just don't like to say no if it's available and that whole what if. So if somebody else asked me to come down somewhere, um, if I get a chance to play, that'd be awesome. So I might not play my best or I might, whatever I can offer, I'm all in. So, but, and, and that's not just me. I think that's a lot of people. If they can do it, they'll do it. What is your favorite part about cricket that makes you have this passion for the game? The end of the game. I want to do it again. It's like uh, I used to do triathlons and the whole process of a triathlon was just excruciating. I hate running. Um, I'm not a very good swimmer. I like to bike, but it's just physically challenging. But at the end of the game or at the end of the the race, I'll look back at my numbers and I'll say, oh, I could have did my transition a little bit better. I could have done this better. So, you know, I'm still like recovering physically, um, practically starving, losing like 10 pounds after the race. But uh, I'll look at it and say, oh, I could have done that better. I'll sign up for another one. So um, I don't know what kind of torture I like to put myself in, but cricket is just, it's like this mental, you know, this mental game where I have so many things to manage and think about um, and play. And I have all these voices in my head of do this, don't do this, make sure you do this, don't do this again. Um, I do all the things. I might do a few things right. Uh, if I hit a couple sixes, I mean, the sixes are just like, you know, I want more of that. I hear in that crack of the bat, it just kind of feeds that, that monster, I guess, inside. I just want to keep, I want more, I want more. So um, it's just the whole entire game. Even if after a bad game, especially a bad game, if I didn't do well, I need to rectify that and do it all over again and just kind of prove myself. All right. Favorite 11 time, 11 questions. Cricket and non-cricket. Are you ready, Crystal? I am as ready as I can go. Yeah. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour you've had, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a cricketer. Who was your favorite roommate? Oh, my niece, Angel. She's amazing. She's my gym rat. And she's come with you on cricket tours and been your roommate. She's a good supporter. Your favorite thing about ice fishing in Minnesota? (laughs) Well, it's not the beer. Uh, It's not the cold. You know, it's not catching fish. Leaving at the end of it. (laughs) Going back into a warm place. That stuff is cold. I mean, they get fancy. I mean, these ice houses... They have fireplaces, they have curtains, all that kind of stuff. My my ice fishing experiences were horrible. My my brother's on the sixth can of beer and it's like he's got his little game of checkers on the side. My fingertips, I can't feel. I have frostbite everywhere. It's horrible, but it's still fun. It's a rite of passage for sure. Your favorite thing to do to pass the time on a long haul flight? Oh, well, this last time it was, uh, I, I decided to read The Hobbit. So I've, I've read that a long time ago and I decided to read it again. Um, it was a light book. I don't want to take anything heavy. So usually reading. I know I'm lame. I read like everybody else. Your favorite cricket ground experience that you've had as a player or as a fan? Shoot, Musa Stadium was for sure. That was nice. That just felt great. I mean, you skid on your knees. You don't feel a thing. I mean, you fall. It's no big deal. So, I mean, you could dive and roll and it was just, it's like carpet. So, yeah, definitely Musa Stadium. Your favorite cricketer of all time? You know, Sniggs, you know, USA, yeah, Sniggs. She's pretty awesome. She's fun to watch. Snig DePaul. Yeah. She's, yeah. She's, she's player of the tournament at the Nationals. She's a rising star, Snig DePaul. All right, we'll, t- we'll take yep. that answer, Snig yeah. DePaul. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Give me a second. Kirby Puckett. Now, that's how we know you're from Minnesota. Yeah. I got to pick a Minnesota guy. 
your favorite. He was awesome. Play- he was super fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's now no longer <laughs> with us. Your favorite place to eat out on tour? Oh, Nobu. Somebody else's pan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your favorite beverage of any kind, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Favorite beverage? I like kombucha. Kombucha or ginger beer. Your favorite pizza topping? Not pineapple, but uh, black olives. Not just olives, black olives. Yeah, black olives. Okay. Gotta be black olives, not Kalamata. Yeah, don't don't get me started on pineapple. <laughs> Your favorite movie of all time? Uh, Clue. I don't know why. It's nostalgic. <laughs> Your favorite show to binge watch, whether it's on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, DVD box set. What's your show that when you come across it, you can't turn it off? You got to watch it through to the end with whatever episode's gone. Ah, uh, one I can't quite pronounce, but I think I'll go. Well, right now, Stranger Things. There you have it, Crystal Zins. Crystal, thank you so much for coming on Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I'll give you the final word. Anything else you want to say about yourself that you think people should know about you that they don't already know about you or your cricket journey? Uh, no, I just thank you a million for having me. Thanks to everybody that's been kind of reaching out. And hi to everybody, but uh, big shout out to NCPL, uh, Minnesota Cricket over here back home and uh if you want to donate to any fun charity vibra v-i-b-h-a helping kids across the sea getting food and stuff so yeah thanks so much peter you've been amazing love your shirt gotta get to hawaii makes me want to go there right now i miss maui well who i want to go there right now who wouldn't want to go there right now (laughs) yeah my feet miss the ocean already so i mean that's where i belong I don't know too many people who would have walked away from what happened in Texas if it had happened to them and would have seen it as a positive experience in their lives. But Crystal Zins is one such person, and that's why she's such an awesome person in the U.S. cricket community. She's an eternal optimist and is somebody who hopefully will continue to contribute. Keep your eyes peeled for her because she is somebody who's going to be on the scene. I have a very good feeling for many, many years to come. Want to remind everybody, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the podcast on Patreon. Become an eagle, become a captain, become a patriot for as little as $3 a month. Everybody who contributes on Patreon and signs up to subscribe on there helps keep the podcast running on an episode-by-episode basis. So I appreciate everybody who has already done so. And I also want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube if you enjoy the video version or... If you enjoy the audio version, you can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, and many other podcasting platforms. That's it for this episode. I'm Peter Dolphiner, reminding everybody, God bless America, and God bless American cricket.